This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Some people think that in order to win this November, Democrats need to move to the political center. History shows they are wrong. In his new book, Listen to Your Mother, Stand Up Straight, How Progressives Can Win, our guest today, Robert Creamer, lays out a broad strategy for a progressive victory and describes the tactics needed to win real-world political battles one at a time. Creamer has been a political organizer and strategist for almost four decades. He is a consultant to the campaigns to end the war in Iraq, pass universal health care, change America's budget priorities, and enact comprehensive immigration reform. Robert Creamer, welcome to Weekly Signals. Hey, good to be with you. How are you today? Very well. Are you in Chicago? Uh, today I'm in Washington. Oh, very good. What's it like there these days? Well, uh, it's uh, Congress is out, and yeah. uh, at least this week, and uh, of course all eyes are focused on uh, on Wisconsin and Hawaii today. Uh-huh. And, uh, um, are you going to call those races for us? Well, I, you know, I, I just for full disclosure, I'm an Obama backer, and uh-huh. I, uh, uh, I would, I would guess that uh, it's going to be pretty close in Wisconsin today, um, and uh, I, I think uh, Obama certainly has a leg up in Hawaii. Now, now, how do you feel about Obama and uh, progressive strategies? What what can we learn from his campaign? Well, I, the the thing that Obama brings to the table is the ability to inspire people, mm-hmm. and and. In many ways, uh, the book is about the need to appeal to progressive values and a progressive vision in order to redefine the center of American politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, my, I, I argue there that over the last uh, 30 years, well, well, from 1932 to about 1970, mid-1970s, progressive values, at least in, in the domestic sphere, uh, pretty much defined the center of the American political debate, what was common sense. And, and the right really took over that center uh, for the last 30 years and put us on the defensive, uh, into a defensive crouch the entire the entire time, even through the Clinton presidency. Um, I think we're on the precipice of a serious progressive realignment in the United States. But Obama's ability to inspire people requires that they, he appeal to those values, not just to a list of policies and programs that we've been offering. And, uh, and I think that makes a decisive difference in our ability to uh, to take advantage of this historic opportunity. Would you say that uh, Obama is somebody who embodies this sort of uh, new America or the immigrant experience uh, sort of recon- recon- reconstituted in, in the 21st century? Well, he certainly embodies uh, kind of the new generation of Americans. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, 40 percent of, of – uh, of the millennial generation, that is, the, the people born since 1982, or, or are are people who are uh, either immigrants themselves, a small, you know, about 10 percent of them, or, or alternatively, uh, uh, are, are minorities, or, uh, or or speak another language at home. I mean, an awful lot of of the new generation is is a generation that understands this sense of multiculturalism and and uh, and intolerance that uh, that more heavily defines it than I think any generation in history. So in that respect, that's certainly true. Obama also, uh, you know, has an inspirational story. 
Yeah. I mean, one about himself. And, yeah. and I mean, inspiration is something really specific to people. It, it empowers them. It, it, when you're inspired, you're empowered. You feel you can be more than you are. And it comes from people being called on to commit their lives to something more important than just themselves. Um, and people really want that. People want meaning as much as they want economic success in many respects. Uh, and progressives have failed really to understand that, I think, or at least to act on it in the last 30 years, whereas the right has not. I mean, the right appeals constantly to people's need for meaning, uh, whether it's through religious fundamentalism or or, or, or kind of nationalist xenophobia or uh, or, or any of the other or, or, or commitment to the conservative movement, Obama allows us to overcome that, I think, for the first time in a long time since probably in, in a more fundamental way than any politician in the United States on the Democratic side has since Robert Kennedy's quest for the presidency ended in that, on that uh, June day in uh, 1968. Why, why is it that, uh, in your opinion, have the progressives since Reagan been in such a defensive crouch? In defensive posture, what, what what happened? Well, first they did a really good job. They were really well organized, uh, and um, uh, and they uh, they were able to to capitalize on the fact that uh, toward the end of the uh, uh, you know through through the through the period after the war, the economy grew constantly, and that began to slow up with the uh, with the um, oil shocks of the 1970s, and uh, with a contraction of economies around the world. And, and they took advantage of that. Uh, but progressives were timid to challenge these kind of fundamental assumptions. I mean, and by that, I mean, give you an example. Assumptions like their argument that, well, raising the minimum wage interferes with the kind of natural way mm-hmm. that, that uh, wages should be set. There's nothing natural about allowing people to be treated like commodities. I mean, the purpose of the economy is 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 people and their well-being, not... They're not corn and beans to be discarded if they, you know, uh, lose their usefulness. Uh, that's a fundamental assumption that we have not adequately or, or constantly challenged about how to distribute the goods and ser- services of our economy. Or, or the fundamental question, are we all in this together or are all in this alone? Right. I, I just want to uh, – it, it seems to me that, uh, that the uh, conservatives were able to seize what I call the narrative during yeah. that period of time. And I would – ascribe that to one particular event. It, it isn't the totality of the reason, but it's something that was very, very important, and that is the repeal of the Fairness Doctrine in in, uh, in radio and television. I think that had a lot to do with it. I think you saw a lot of moneyed interest take control of the narrative and, and, and put, the, put the progressives on a, in a constant state of defending themselves. I, I think that certainly has contributed. There's no doubt that the success of creating a uh, radical conservative echo chamber in yeah. the United States, yeah. driven originally by talk radio, was uh, was enormously powerful at creating the parameters of political debate and really putting us on the political defensive. Um, you know, and and, and the, the the lack of inspiration mm-hmm. or, or or political leaders who would appeal to our values and inspire people has been part of the problem as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, people don't get involved in changing things because they're convinced. They, they get involved in changing things because they're motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that, that is why, that's why this 
inspirational quality of Obama is so critical. It's just not one other quality for be nice for a president to have. I think it is really critical if we're going to take advantage of this historic opportunity to have what I think could be a generational political realignment. I agree. We're speaking with uh, Robert Creamer. The book is Listen to Your Mother, Stand Up Straight, How Progressives Can Win. And you just mentioned that historic opportunity. What do you see out there? What are the signs of that uh, historic opportunity that we're facing right now? Well, you know, you start in 19, uh, 2004, pardon me, you know, we really hit rock bottom, right? The presidency was uh, won by Bush uh, to a, in a, you know, we were surprised everybody. They had control of both houses of Congress. They were about poised to take over the whole judiciary. Um, and then they came with their proposal to attack Social Security and, and, uh, and, and kind of take a new beachhead in what remained of essentially the sectors of the political economy rooted in progressive values. And, you know, we were able to organize a defense of that and stand firm and repel their attack. And that was the beginning, I think, of people starting to stand up straight. Of course, the, the, uh, the obvious failure of neocon foreign policy really complicated that for them, the war. Mm-hmm. Then came Katrina and this spectacle that showed, you know, all of their pretense to confidence or competence was, was, was nothing more than the Wizard of Oz-like uh, uh, pretension. Um, and, uh, and, and people, of course, they kept arguing, oh, gee whiz, uh, we're not getting credit for expansion of the economy, but you know, the uh, chickens had begun to come home to roost. You know, Though we had had economic expansion, it only benefited the top couple of percent of the population, and for most people, they hadn't had any economic expansion at all. So all of that, I think, has conspired to allow us this opportunity, but it requires that we stand up straight, talk about our values, talk about our vision for the future, because, you know, Yogi Bear used to say, uh, uh, any, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Uh, you know, and, uh, and, and people want politicians who, lead, who know where they want to go. You know, and um, so in any case, I think that opportunity presents itself for this to be the same kind of de- definitional reelection and, and more importantly, presidency, not just presidency, but period immediately following that, that Reagan – led us through, and uh, and his successors in Congress led us through in the uh, 1980s and, and, and 90s. Yeah. Well, we're certainly, on the, as you just said earlier, we are on the precipice. Either one of the, the two leading Democratic candidates were to be nominated, one of them will be, uh, with certainly an historic campaign, no matter what. Absolutely. And, and I don't want to argue that Hillary Clinton could be a good president. She could, and, and she could be elected, I think. I, I do think it's a lot easier for Obama, uh, partially because this inspirational quality allow, is the one kind of common message characteristic that allows somebody simultaneously to appeal to persuadable voters, you know, the switch hitters of politics, people who, who are undecided, and uh, kind of the middle, what people think of as the middle, and and also to mobilizable voters, people who yeah. don't go to vote would vote for us, but they won't get off, off their duffs to vote. Both of those are appealed to by inspiration, and and uh, and that's why I think Obama can build the electorate as well as reach out to independents and and some some Republicans. You know, a lot of people say, "Well, gee whiz, does that mean he's going to compromise?" That's that's not kind of what he's proposing. I mean, we want the train to be as long as possible. We just want progressives and progressive values to be in the engine, you know. Right. I, I think that's the thing that um, this national polling, <clears throat> excuse me, this national polling isn't taking into account the polls that have shown uh, a, a 46-43 uh, victory over McCain by 
for Obama. Yeah. Um, I, what they're not taking into account, they usually don't in these polls, are people who don't generally vote. These are high-propensity voter polls. That's correct. And so the, the, the value, the real value of his candidacy is pulling in not only new voters, but people who have not been voting. And I think that's what you're going to see if he's, an, if he's a nominee. Certainly, if he's a nominee. I, I, you know, McCain is a tough candidate. I, I think uh, we shouldn't underestimate him at all. I mean, he's got a, uh, an ability to uh, appeal to his own primo values. I mean, this is a guy who spent years in a prison camp. His story is pretty compelling, you know, and he starts out having convinced a lot of swing voters that he's, he's an independent guy and a straight talker, and people desperately want politicians who stand up for their values, have core values. That's why Kerry lost last time, right, because the Republicans convinced him erroneously that he was a flip-flopper. Um, so, so I think he's a tough candidate, and uh, and and we would do very well not to take a thing for granted. Well, I, I think he's not. I don't think he's as tough as 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 apparently you do because I think he's Bob Dole. I hope you're right. I, 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 <laughs> no, I agree no. with that formulation of future versus past. Yeah, he, he's Bo- yeah. he's Bob Dole, and he has staked his campaign on the legitimacy and the effectiveness of this so-called surge. And this surge has failed. And and we're going to start finding out in the spring. Just how badly it's failed when the when the Sunnis start attacking the Shiites, and we, when you see a much more open and aggressive civil war in Iraq, and the United States are going to be bystanders. He has he has staked his campaign on on that and on on winning the war in Iraq, an unwinnable war. And I and I really want to see both uh, Hillary and Obama get out in front on this because I think that it's just a matter of time, and why they haven't gotten more out in front on the. Well, they've bought into the, this narrative that the surge worked, and it hasn't, and it yeah, won't. Yeah, I, I agree with you about the failure of the surge. I, I, I think that, uh, uh, and I, I agree with your little, the scenario you just painted about what happened in Iraq. I, I, I do think uh, the real problem for him, for, for McCain in this respect, is notwithstanding people, whether or not people, in our polling at least, whether or not people think the surge has improved the situation, they still want, just as badly as they did, to end the war, because their view is, they want to invest in America, not endless war. I mean, and it's the cost of war that's just a critical dynamic for them. And and I think we also have a compelling narrative to make that, uh, you know, whatever happens in Iraq, it wasn't worth going there and took our eye off the ball and America's less safe. Well, I, I'm running the campaign against McCain. I'm running that. I'm We're there for the next 100-year clip. Until that's people, exactly right, man. Until, till the, you know, till election day. That's the only thing I'm going to gonna. I'm running against that hundred year war mark. I, I think that's a very uh, incredible, very very smart thing to do because mm-hmm. people simply do not want to be in a quagmire in Iraq for the next however long. Yeah, uh, we're speaking with Robert Creamer. Book is "Listen to Your Mother, Stand Up Straight: How Progressives Can Win." Uh, what is the progressive vision for the future? I mean, it, what we just talked about is not being in a war. What can we talk about simply positively? How can we get past the war in Iraq and talk about building for the future? Well, you know, when you think about describing a progressive vision, I mean, you think about taking our historic position in the current situation, the current world, and applying our progressive values to it. I, um, uh, my wife is a member of Congress, Jan Schakowsky, often says that the real tragedy of the Bush period is not just what we've done, it's what we haven't done. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know that our real the real threat to world security over the long haul is as much as anything a sea of poverty existing in a 
or pardon me, an island of poverty existing in a sea of, I'll get it right, an island of prosperity <laughs> existing in a sea of poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thing is, uh, our technological capability today, um, I think, confronts us with uh, essentially a gauntlet that we're going through uh, that, that we entered about 60 years ago. Um, the question is, will our values and decision-making structures, I don't mean just America, I mean around the world, keep pace with this exploding technological power and capacity? If it does, it will allow us for the first time in human history in the next several generations to eliminate human need to create a truly democratic and, and potentially peaceful society on the earth. And if it doesn't, then it may all end in a... Uh, Mushroom cloud or, 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 or a massively modified climate. I mean, the, 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 what's at stake is essentially, in my view, success or failure for humanity in the very near future. And uh, I think we need to describe those alternatives to people. Uh, and I think they innately understand them yeah. um, and appeal to the values that most people think define the progress of human civilization, that, uh, uh, that we're all better off if we look out for each other, that, we're, that it isn't a zero-sum game, you know, that, that uh, you don't have to be poor for me to be richer, just the opposite. You don't have to be sick for me to be healthy, just the opposite. Yeah. Uh, and I think if we talk like that, yeah. people will respond because they – they want to be part of something bigger than themselves, you know, and, uh, and a historic project that that uh, that gives their lives meaning and provides a future for their kids. This is the first generation, the first generation, the first at least the last few years, that the polling shows that most people believe that their kids will not be better off than, than they are. And that's not acceptable. Uh, and... And that's why people respond so well to the yes, we can. Right. And and I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Robert Creamer. The book is Listen to Your Mother, Stand Up Straight, How Progressives Can Win. I, I'm trying to give that the right emphasis. And, yeah. and, um, and I'm going to go back to the, uh, what I would assume would have been the last generation that would have said that things aren't going to get better. And that would have been back in the Depression during the during the 30s. And I don't know if that's... That's, uh, I don't know if there was any polling to right. establish that, but, but I, you're right. I would I mean, imagine. So I guess my proposal, my modest proposal here, and I would something I would love to see, is something akin to a New Deal proposal from from progressives in this country. And I would I would I would think that if somebody gave Franklin Roosevelt's Four Freedom speech today, who could argue with that? Absolutely, absolutely right. Or his the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Right. I mean. Uh, and, and, and that fear question, by the way, you know, really cuts. I mean, the rights maintained its power by playing on fear for 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 years right. instead of hope. And right. and hope trumps fear. Right. Uh, and, and that's one of the things we we've I think have to learn in order to take advantage of this opportunity we have. If you had the four freedom speech today with a program to back it up, you would win. I believe in this, in the, and I and I, I just I, we need to. I, I agree with you. I, 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 yeah. I, we we need to reinforce these notions of freedom from from hunger and from health and the whole thing, all the freedom from fear, and that was a big part of it. 
So uh, I would love to see this. This and this is you're right. I believe I agree with you. This is our opportunity. Now your your book, which is what's excellent about your book, is it it really lays it out in uh, in a in a manual kind of in a in a way that people can relate to and understand and implement. And well, that's right. I mean, I'm 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 not a theoretician particularly. I'm right. I'm kind of a practitioner. I've been doing political strategy and organizing for almost four decades, and 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 so that's what this book really is about. I mean, it, it tries to frame up our situation strategically, uh, but it also attempts to address, you know, so how do you precisely get from A to B? Who do we communicate with? What, what's the the blocking and tackling of politics? Understanding self interests in people and. Uh, how do we uh, how do we do political communication? Uh, how do we address people's unconscious that is so dominant in their decision making? How do we uh, how do we talk about a progressive vision for the future? Uh, uh, what what do we mean by progressive values? Those are the kind of things we try and address in this book. Well, it's excellent. I want to. I'd love to talk to you uh, in uh, November of two thousand and eight, late November of two thousand and eight, and say we've got sixty one senators and we've got two hundred and seventy members of the House of Representatives and a a fifty five forty five win in the in the presidential campaign. How's that sound? That would be great. I and mean, we need we. You know, I, I I agree with you. Not only do we need to win the presidency, we've got to increase our margins in the Senate and in the House, particularly the Senate where we have the filibuster, but also because we don't want the conservative wing of our own party to hold us hostage. That's exactly right. And and we got to have margins to do that. So well, we, we've got it. Well, well, when Lieberman's on the McCain ticket, we don't have to worry about him anymore. <laughs> I guess that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Robert Creamer, so much for for being here. The book is "Listen to Your Mother, Stand Up Straight: Why Progressives Can How Progressives Can Win." Thank you so much for being here. All right. Here. Good talk to you. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals.